Welcome to Defending Democracy, a weekly podcast from Democracy Docket. On this episode, we're discussing North Carolina Republicans and their latest scheme to undermine free and fair elections. We're your hosts. I'm Mark Elias. And I'm Paige Moskowitz. Let's get started. Paige, let's jump in where I feel like there's not been enough attention. You know, we've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks talking about the craziness of the post-election litigation, you know, what Carrie Lake and her band of misfit toys are doing in Arizona. And we've previewed for everyone the beginning of the legislative session, what we have already seen in Ohio with an omnibus voter suppression bill there, with what we've seen in Texas, with, you know, Greg Abbott and his uh, his every other year crowd ready to enact new voter suppression laws. We've we've seen Republican legislatures uh, talk about, uh, you know, election integrity and new police forces. And we've even seen some Democratic legislatures uh, propose legislation that will make things better. But I don't think we've spent enough time and I don't think the, that there's enough focus on what's going on in some of the state courts, kind of in procedural cases, but ways that will have dramatic impacts in the outcome of democracy in the future. One of those states where we're seeing litigation come up again and again in voting rights and redistricting is North Carolina. North Carolina is an interesting state because it's mostly purple. It's split fairly evenly, Democrat and Republican. But Republican lawmakers always seem to find a way to create a problem about voting rights, photo ID laws, redistricting maps that make their way up to the North Carolina Supreme Court. Yeah, that is definitely their top priority, it seems, making making trouble for democracy. Uh, we've seen, you know, just in the last decade, we've seen everything from them discriminating against black voters in passing voter suppression laws. We've seen them discriminating against black voters in drawing district maps. We've seen them pass partisan gerrymanders galore, <laughs> uh, including their most recent map that got struck down that is now the subject of litigation in the U.S. Supreme Court. But, but Paige, one of the things that has been a stalwart throughout all of that has been the North Carolina Supreme Court. You know, the reason why the Republicans are in the U.S. Supreme Court in Moore v. Harper, which is the, you know, independent state legislature doctrine case that everyone keeps hearing about. The reason why they're there is because the, the North Carolina Supreme Court stood up to them. But that seems like that is about to change and Republicans in the state have a plan. Following partisan state Supreme Court elections in November, which flipped the North Carolina Supreme Court from a Democratic majority to a Republican majority, Republicans are now asking the court to rehear two cases that they lost last term, dealing with their legislative and congressional maps and a photo ID to vote law. Right. And what makes this so extraordinary is that they are using a procedural mechanism that is intended for the very rare case where a court just gets something obviously wrong in the facts or obviously wrong in the law. And they're using that procedural mechanism, which is referred to as a motion to rehear a case, to try to get the 
state Supreme Court to reverse its prior pro-voting decisions, to reverse its decision uh, banning partisan gerrymandering and to reverse its decision striking down the ID law. And Page, there's only one thing that has changed since those decisions were issued, and it's not some fact that was newly discovered, and it's not some law that was recently discovered. It's something else. It is purely the fact that two seats on the North Carolina Supreme Court were up for election last fall, and Republicans won them and Democrats lost them. It's that simple. It is. It is that simple. It is simply because the court has gone from a 4-3 Democratic majority to a 5-2 Republican majority. Right. And this has been the legislature's plan all along. The fact is North Carolina used to have nonpartisan elections for their judiciary, and that suited the state really well. They had a moderate Supreme Court. It wasn't particularly pro-liberal. It wasn't particularly conservative. It was actually kind of a business-friendly court. You know, it was a court that you would have if you were trying to develop a movie industry in Wilmington, a banking center in Charlotte, and an academic research hub in the research triangle where you have Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, and of course, the, the three big research universities. But they changed that in 2017 to force state Supreme Court justices to run in partisan primaries and then have partisan labels when they ran for election to the state Supreme Court. And this was a plan, right? This was the Republicans wanting to put in place a more ideologically, predictably conservative and partisan Republican court precisely because they wanted to be able to enact laws like these unconstitutional ID laws and these unconstitutional maps. What's also interesting to me about the fact that Republicans are asking to redo cases is that North Carolina has a really proud tradition of judicial review. They are very proud that they had a state case that predates Marbury versus Madison that gave courts the power to review acts of the legislature. Yeah, and you're kind of left wondering, you know, without getting into all of the details of these two cases, suffice to say, you know, one of them involves an ID law that has been found to be discriminating against black voters. The other one involves a a, a, a redistricting map that, you know, is an, is an overt partisan gerrymander. But without getting into all of the details of the cases, what's what's really interesting is that the state court has played the central gatekeeper role. You know, it has been the thing that has checked the excesses of the legislature because the legislature in North Carolina has been known to have its excesses. Time and time again, the North Carolina Supreme Court has stood up to Republican lawmakers to protect the rights of voters. And they did that again, twice in the last term. But now after the court has flipped, Republicans are asking for a redo. So Mark, let's get into those cases. So the first case deals with everyone's favorite topic, redistricting. After the 2020 census, Republican lawmakers in North Carolina drew new legislative and congressional maps. Like we said, North Carolina is a purple state. It's usually split 50-50 in statewide vote totals. But the new congressional map that Republican lawmakers drew had 10 Republican districts, three Democratic districts, and one competitive district. The state legislative maps had a similar lopsided partisan composition. 
Right. And this is not the first time that Republicans in North Carolina have tried to draw a grossly unfair map. In the last round of redistricting, the first map they drew was struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court as discriminating against black voters. It was a racial gerrymander. Then they enacted a partisan gerrymander. That initially was the subject of another Supreme Court case, but ultimately was struck down by the state Supreme Court as violating the state's constitutional prohibition against partisan gerrymander. So to put this simply, Paige, this is their second go-round of having the state Supreme Court strike down their maps as partisan gerrymander. Right. North Carolina Republicans have very recent histories of both partisan and racial gerrymandering. Like you said, during the last redistricting cycle, North Carolina's congressional districts were struck down by federal courts, and that was a decision affirmed by SCOTUS in 2017 and Cooper v. Harris. And those districts were struck down for racial gerrymandering. Now, North Carolina lawmakers replaced those racial gerrymanders with partisan gerrymanders. In that case, again, went to SCOTUS in Rucho v. Common Cause. And in that case, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that, you know, partisan gerrymandering is a political question outside of the purview of federal courts, leaving the issue to state courts. And Mark, like like you said, the North Carolina Supreme Court found that partisan gerrymandering violates the state constitution. And because of that, the North Carolina Supreme Court struck down the legislative and congressional maps drawn by Republicans after the 2020 census because they very clearly, unfairly benefited Republican candidates. Now, Republicans took that decision to strike down the congressional map to the U.S. Supreme Court in a case that we all know now as Moore v. Harper as the case promoting the fringe independent state legislature theory. The U.S. Supreme Court hasn't issued a decision in Moore v. Harper yet, but what's happening now is that North Carolina Republicans are asking the North Carolina Supreme Court to reconsider its decision to strike down the state's legislative and congressional maps last year for partisan gerrymandering. Paige, just for the sake of completeness, my law firm is involved in the case that they are seeking to have reheard and also uh, Moore v. Harper. In the other case, North Carolina Republicans are asking to redo. The state Supreme Court struck down a photo ID law that intentionally targeted black voters in North Carolina. So the law in question here is a 2018 law called SB 824, which required all voters in North Carolina to present some form of photo ID before casting their ballot. Now, SB 824 had a very restrictive list of what types of IDs were acceptable to vote. And what you need to know is that SB 824 is almost identical to photo ID provisions passed in a 2013 law in North Carolina that a federal court ultimately struck down for targeting African-American voters with, quote, almost surgical precision, end quote. Yeah, Paige, that was a law that was enacted by the Republican legislature only weeks after the Shelby County decision gutted Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. And this is the the 2013 law we're talking about, right? Yep. It included a whole host of provisions that made it harder to vote. But what came out in the trial was that Republican legislators had compiled a list of methods of voting most often relied upon by white voters 
and a list of methods of voting most often relied upon by black voters. They left the methods that benefited white voters alone while targeting the methods of voting relied most upon by black voters. That 2013 law that was struck down by federal courts was written and passed by many of the same lawmakers who wrote and passed SB 824, this new photo ID law in 2018. In December of 2022, the North Carolina Supreme Court struck down SB 824, finding that, quote, the law was enacted with discriminatory intent to disproportionately disenfranchise and burden African-American voters in North Carolina, end quote. Right. So the way the judicial system works is that that's kind of the end of the story. In theory, you could appeal those decisions to the U.S. Supreme Court. And Page, in fact, as you know, in the North Carolina redistricting case, they are, they are doing that in Moore v. Harper. But otherwise, the state court's jobs are done, right? The state Supreme Court has ruled that the map passed by the Republicans was in violation of the state constitution that the ID law passed by the Republicans was in violation of the state constitution. Right. And we've all we've all seen that schoolhouse rock episode, right? Yeah. The highest court makes a decision, that's usually it. Right. And so what happened next is really quite extraordinary. On January 20th, uh only days after the Republicans took control of the state supreme court, they filed two motions for a hearing. A motion for a hearing is normally filed if when you get an opinion, there's just something in it that is obviously wrong. So, for example, there's a case involving a murder, and the person is convicted of wielding a knife, and the state Supreme Court decision or another decision upholds the conviction because he used a gun, right? You'd file a motion for rehearing because you'd say, okay, your honors, you got like a pretty central fact wrong. And like, we need to, we need to try this again. Or in that instance, the state Supreme court issues its ruling. And it turns out the day before the ruling, the U S Supreme court said that wielding a knife is not a crime. And the state Supreme Court didn't catch that from the U.S. Supreme Court. And so you point out to the state Supreme Court, hey, your honors, you missed something here that was very obvious. So it's meant to be a safety valve for obvious and clear errors with, uh, with a court's decision. It is not meant to be a do-over when you achieve a partisan objective in the composition of a court. And Mark, to be clear, rehears in general are very rare. They're not a common common court proceeding, right? Yeah, like I said, they 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 happen very, very infrequently, and they are granted even more infrequently. I mean, very oftentimes when you seek rehearing, the the judge's response is, oh no, no, I understood. And this is what I meant. I mean, I'll give you an example. It wasn't exactly a rehear, but it was very similar. Kerry Lake asked the, the Arizona Supreme Court to take the her appeal away from the appellate court and hear it directly. And the state Supreme Court in Arizona politely said, no. <laughs> uh, and then 
you know, then a few days go by and Kerry Lake's lawyers file literally another motion saying, hey, we don't think you got understand the facts now. You should take this away and ha and hear it directly. And the Arizona Supreme Court, I think, took like two hours to issue a, a ruling saying, no, 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 we meant we're not taking it away from the Court of Appeals. Go there first. And within their own petition, Republican lawmakers could only cite four instances where a rehearing was granted and led to a reversal. So it is really rare. It's a big ask. And oh, by the way, the North Carolina Constitution hasn't changed in the past four months. And those four cases, I mean, the first of which you have to go back to like 1910 or so, but the most recent of which is from the 1980s. So they haven't done this in, a, in, in quite a while. Even, even those four cases are not recent. Mike, I think what's really at the heart of what's happening here is two times the North Carolina State Supreme Court told Republican lawmakers, you are harming voters. You are keeping people from casting their ballots. You cannot do that. And Republican lawmakers are now saying, but we really want to. Yeah, and this follows a long, unfortunate history in North Carolina. In 2013, the Supreme Court issued Shelby County. And as we discussed, the Republicans went right to work uh, in passing a new voter suppression law. We saw it in the redistricting cases that we that we were talking about, about how in the, you know, in the last round of redistricting, the legislature kept pounding away at passing unfair maps. There were actually some extraordinary quotations from the uh, state legislative leaders, uh, pretty unapologetic about why they were passing unfair partisan gerrymandered maps. So this is like a recalcitrant state legislature. This is not a state legislature that is finding itself uh, un, you know, unwittingly or by accident on the wrong side of voting cases. This is a near obsession with Republicans in North Carolina. They have this history of suppressing voters. State Supreme Court striking down Republicans' legislation, their maps, etc. What has changed now is a state Supreme Court election, where two seats formerly held by Democratic justices are now held by Republicans. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning a little bit of how we wound up there. Because North Carolina used to have a pretty middle-of-the-road uh, state Supreme Court. It wasn't particularly ideological of anything. It was pro-business. Uh, it was very pro-Charlotte as development of a banking center. It was very pro-Research Triangle Park, Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill, and the development of a tech uh, infrastructure and a tech corridor. And in 2017, Republicans changed the law about how state Supreme Court justices run for election. At that point, they used to run in nonpartisan elections. And in 2017, Republicans changed it to make Supreme Court justices run in partisan elections, both partisan primaries, in other words, they run in Democratic or Republican primaries, and also in with partisan labels uh, in the general election. And it has had a real impact on the composition of that court in making it, A, more uh, flip from being majority Democrat to majority Republican, but also like any time you have a partisan primary, you are going to accentuate issues that are necessarily more divisive and partisan. Right. We normally like to think of our courts as kind of neutral 
entities just focused on facts of law, not necessarily with a partisan edge, maybe different ideologies in how they view law, but not so blatantly red versus blue. Here's where you fall on this side of the issue. Yeah. And there's been a real focus in the recent weeks since the November election to focus on what is happening with state Supreme Court elections. Uh, I, I, I think the number of times in the past that I had seen on Twitter a well-liked or retweeted tweet about a state Supreme Court election uh, was was a pretty small number. But, few and you know, far in between. <laughs> few and far between. But now, Paige, you know, there seem to be judicial elections coming up in a number of states that have really taken on almost national significance. Right, because not every state elects Supreme Court justices. A lot of them, they're appointed by the governor. But where they are elected, they are states that, that are a really big deal. For example, this year, they, we see state Supreme Court elections in Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania, two states that are normally key swing states in national elections and states where you're seeing more and more litigation about voting methods and voting rights. Yeah, and in both of those states... You have had in recent months and years cases about redistricting, cases about absentee voting, cases about access to the ballot and the administration of election come up with regularity. I mean, I, I know Democracy Docket did a report on the most litigated states, the states in which there was the most litigation. And I believe both Wisconsin and Pennsylvania were pretty high up that list. They were two of the top three. The third was Arizona, where state Supreme Court justices are appointed, but they have retention elections. So in Wisconsin, we'll see the state Supreme Court race in April. It is a nonpartisan race, unlike North Carolina. But we saw last year the state Supreme Court banned drop boxes in the state following a lawsuit from a conservative group. And in November, Pennsylvania will hold elections for their chief justice seat, and that is a partisan election. And Mark, if you remember, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court split three to three in a case about mail-in ballots last fall, resulting in undated and wrongly dated mail-in ballots not being counted in the midterm elections. Right. And these were ballots from eligible voters. So everyone needs to like understand this in really simple terms. Eligible voters, voters who had the right and entitlement to vote and to cast a ballot and have their ballots counted did not have their ballots counted because of a missing date on an envelope or some such thing. You know, th th this is this is a great tragedy of American democracy, the disenfranchisement of voters over these small technical issues that have really nothing to do with the, the voters qualification and have nothing to do with fraud. Uh, but this, these are the kinds of issues, though, Paige, we, we constantly see coming up to state courts. Right. We're seeing more and more litigation happen at the state level and make its way up to state Supreme Court. Which, bringing us back to North Carolina, is an interesting dichotomy. Because on the one hand, they are the ones leading the charge in the U.S. Supreme Court to deny the North Carolina, the Supreme Court, the ability to hear these cases at the same time that they are going to the North Carolina Supreme Court seeking rehearing of cases. 
Mark, North Carolina Republicans want a redo of these cases. And all we really can do now is wait and see if the North Carolina Supreme Court grants those petitions or not. And from my standpoint, this is a really important moment for judicial independence and separation of powers in North Carolina because you don't get redos. You know, I've won cases and I've lost cases. And sometimes I lose a case and I think the judge just got it wrong. But you know what? Like, that's the system. That's the system. Sometimes you walk away just thinking the judges got it wrong. But there is in our judicial system a premium placed on finality. There has to be an end to every case. You can't just let litigants continuously ask for the same relief over and over and over again, like we're now seeing in North Carolina, like we saw Kerry Lake do in Arizona. There has to be an end. And it's actually really important to democracy that there is an end. So we will see what the North Carolina Supreme Court does to see to, to stand up for itself, even though it may have had different members, it is still defending the the institution of the state Supreme Court from this kind of uh, partisan effort. We'll also soon see how the new composition of the North Carolina Supreme Court takes on voting rights cases. On Thursday, February 2nd, the court will hear a case about North Carolina's felony disenfranchisement law that voting rights advocates say disproportionately harm black voters. We'll be covering the oral argument live on Democracy Docket on Thursday, February 2nd, and you can find all the case filings on the website now under the case name Community Success Initiative v. Moore. That's all we have for today, and thanks for listening to Defending Democracy. To find out more and stay up to date on the latest voting rights, elections, and democracy news, visit democracydocket.com and make sure you are subscribed to our free daily and weekly newsletters. We'll see you next time. Today's episode was produced by Paige Moskowitz, Alexa Rothenberg, and Sophie Feldman. It was edited by Paige Moskowitz with help from Sophie Feldman. Defending Democracy is a production of Democracy Docket LLC.